Hi, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show for Wednesday, October the 7th. Today on the show, if you were hoping for a wine fridge for Christmas or in the market for a new washer-dryer combo, get in line. So is everyone else. Apparently, we've got an appliance shortage going on now. How bad is it? We'll speak with Jason Goman about that. And the Toronto District School Board is pulling some teachers from in-class and making them work virtually. We have the skinny on the when, where, and what this means for students. And I don't know about you, but I am completely confused about what went on yesterday with regard to the province's message about Thanksgiving. Now, let me just, if I could just exhibit A, your communications on Thanksgiving started out like this. On Monday, Dr. Barbara Yaffe, who is the Associate Chief Medical Officer of Health in the province, she advised against mixing households on the holiday. And I'm like, okay, I get it. No mixing. Premier Doug Ford then said, use your best judgment and common sense. And then I thought, well, common sense isn't really common anymore, is it? So now I'm slightly confused, but okay, my best judgment is I'll go with what the associate chief medical officer said. Then yesterday, everything hit the fan. Confusion, dogs and cats living together. No one knew what was up or down, including the premier himself, after he said this. This is going to be about as clear as I can be for, for Thanksgiving. You know, what we're asking, try to say, uh, stay within the, the family. If you're going over, and I understand there's a lot of single people out there, if they have a family they're, they're close to, please wear a mask, keep social distance. Please, it's very simple. There's rules and there's guidelines. The rules are very clear. 10 indoors, 25 outdoors. I would really, really discourage people from having 25 people, even if it's outdoors, uh, stick with, within 10 people. And folks, we're, we went through so much together. We can get through this. This is going to make or break at this Thanksgiving. We see the numbers slowly flattening. They still are high, but I've seen a decline uh, yesterday. The, the testing is up to 42,000, a record. And, you know, I, I, I have a, a big family. And I, I, I told uh, Carla, I, I said, you know, and she knows, uh, we have no more than 10. And uh, simple as that. And, and that's what we're going to obey by as well. And, and when it comes to having everyone over, your aunts and uncles, you know, hang off on the hugging and the kissing and everything else. Uh, I just want to make through it the, the Thanksgiving here. But we're, we see a little bit of the flattening uh, right now. But we need to bring the, the numbers down still. So that's about as, as clear as I can be uh, on, on that. So there shouldn't, shouldn't be any, any confusion. Yikes. Okay, first of all, a lot of confusion. Uh, I thought you were going to make it as uh, less confusing as possible. And then the more you talk, the more I got confused. And also, a quick aside, anytime he mentions his wife, Carla, does anyone else picture Carla from Cheers? Ford then was asked to clarify what he meant for Thanksgiving. Have a listen. Yesterday, the Associate Medical Officer of Health said she recommended people stick only to their immediate family for Thanksgiving dinner. You just a few minutes ago said uh, stick to the limit of 10 people. That is mixed messaging, is it not? And, and it's confusing people out there. So which one is it? Because, you know, I, I, I live in a small home with under 10, but... Uh, you're saying I could have 10. If you play, yeah, sorry, sorry Cynthia, but if you... Only the people I live with. So if you, you play it back, I said stick within your household. Your your household, that, that's what I said, so... 
Yeah. And then Barbara Yaffe, while he's continuing to talk, you can see the associate chief medical officer in the background going, no, 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 no. I mean, her eyes are almost bulging through her, the lens of her glasses. So then Yaffe comes, takes the mic and says, okay, you can only get together with people you live with. And my son, of course, because he's all alone. Have a listen. The bottom line is COVID is spread person to person. So what you should do is think about every interaction you have with any other person and minimize interactions with people you don't know. And if you're not sure you can maintain the six foot or two meter distance, you should wear a mask. So that's the principle in every measure. Um, so for Thanksgiving, uh, we are recommending that you limit it this year to your household. And if your household is just one person, that person can join another household. So in my example, I have a son who lives alone. He'll be very embarrassed I'm mentioning this. <laughs> and he will be joining us. Um, but, you know, that is to maintain some uh, mental and social well-being for people. But uh, yes, 10 is the max for indoors. But that doesn't mean you should go to 10. We are hoping people will stay with their household. I'd like to welcome to the show someone who examines communications for a living. She's a philosophy professor at the University of Guelph, and maybe, if anybody can make sense of what's going on, Maya Goldenberg could. Maya, welcome to the show. Good to have you on. It's nice to be here. Okay. For a while, I mean, I understand that the government has an important job to do. They have to balance the fight of covid uh, 19 uh, with efforts to jumpstart the economy. And according to a new poll this week, 60% of us are concerned that there's not enough trust in information out there to, you know, make a proper decision about COVID-19 and safety. So many are confused with the different levels of government and health officials making overlapping or contradictory or inconsistent recommendations and rulings. But when we're talking about one level of government that doesn't seem to be consistent in their messaging, where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us confused. Uh, those clips that you just played certainly um, captured some of the confusion. It sounds like even our uh, politicians and public health officers are struggling to get a message out because they're trying to do a number of things, acknowledging that family and uh, community are important, uh, but also trying to keep us safe. And the message is just not coming out clearly. Um, I, I'll, I, I'd like to point out that from early on in this, uh, in this lockdown and various stages of the pandemic, uh, politicians have said we are going to follow the science and follow the directives of public health uh, officers in order to create protocols that will keep everybody safe. And that was generally well received by the public. If anyone was going to get us out of this uh, terrible situation, it was going to be public health. Public health knows how to deal with infectious disease outbreaks. So it seems that the governments stumble every time that they step away from public health directives. And that's when people get confused. We have gotten messaging all the way through that the way to do this right is to follow public health directives. So when we see the wavering on that, it's it's going to leave us a little unsure, not only what we should do, but also if our government is actually putting together good policies to take us through this. Are they trying to, do they go off the rails when they try and relate to the people that they're representing? Sure. As soon as, as soon as it's seen as political uh, posturing, uh, there's a good reason to be concerned that it's not, that the health of, uh, of the public are not always uh, being prioritized. Uh, 
Premier Ford had a had a um, had a, a press conference just uh, two days ago where he said a lot about supporting small businesses and supporting uh, restaurant owners. And I'm sure that went over very well for restaurant owners, but it really went against our current crisis, which it, which is telling us that we need to dial it back and stay home a little bit longer. So we understand the tension between saving businesses and uh, saving lives and reducing the numbers, but making these sort of pleas for the small business owners, not really telling us how we do this. When do you think things started to fall apart provincially as far as uh, pandemic communications? Because we were doing okay at the start. Was it when we started to reopen again with stage one, stage two, stage three? Um, is that like terminology problematic because it's it's only heading in one direction? Yeah, I mean, they it, it might be. But at the same time, they always we I think it was always made clear that we could go backwards. We could go from stage two to stage one. In fact, that was a way to rally people not to get too relaxed in the opening up because things could go backwards too. Uh, I saw the communications problems breaking down really around the opening up of schools. Uh, Mm -hmm. This was, of course, uh, this was our biggest opening up and uh, parents were rightfully concerned. And right away, it was not clear that uh, the school opening up policies were consistent with public health directives. So we had these uh, we had all kinds of directives from public health officers. We had this report from from Sick Kids Hospital, and uh, what the ministry actually put in place did not match what had been recommended, namely around class sizes and and social distancing. So the concern became that 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 now the government doesn't want to spend the money to to let's say change the air filtration in schools to make kids much safer, and that's not a good time to start walking back on the science forward directives that had been pushed all the way through, because when you're putting children at risk, um, <clears throat> no voters are going to, are going to support that. I'm going to give you a chance to get a drink of water if you have one mm-hmm. beside you. Um, and I want to ask you a question about that. That might sound odd for someone who's uh, you know, people look at and say, Oh, well, you're supposed to be a journalist or a talk show host, but could our quest for transparency lead to um confusion because they the time limits that are set upon some of these press conferences you know in order to hold our attention and convey a a message that's clear could presumably muddle things no um i'm not sure about that i mean the, the the purpose of these press conferences are to be transparent and to uh, ensure that the public gets the kind of information they need, the directives, but also the justification for it. I, I don't see any problem in uh, the press demanding that our politicians justify the claims that they're making. And if the politicians are willing to do that and ready to justify it, then then this should go very well. Okay, so this confusion that we're experiencing right now, we obviously have a need for clear communications. Do you, you know, have to sit down with an initiative if you're in government in order to uh, convey the the initiative clearly and anticipate the questions before they come up so you can address those, be all on the same page? And I wonder if these politicians working 24-7 since the pandemic started is problematic because maybe they need a break. Um, maybe they do, but they also have a good communication staff that are supposed to help them with this. Okay. So better. really, it could go better. Yeah. Okay. So uh, ultimately, does this confusion 
fuel any massacres, conspiracy theories? What is happening here? Um, I, I don't know what the exact outcome will be, but uh, it's certainly when, when you start uh, um, when, when this kind of confusion arises, it can create all kinds of backlash, like uh, um, more support for alternative theories about masking and things like that. It can go in that direction that they see this isn't being run well and maybe other things need to be reconsidered too, like masks or vaccines or things like that. But it's, it, I don't want to speculate on whether that would happen. Mm. Um, but all the while, clear directives from government are the way to shore up public trust. And, and we need that all the way. Okay, so if public trust is starting to fail when it comes to the pandemic and we're completely confused, what does the government have to do to gain or regain our public trust and, and convey that clear message? Uh, I think they need to get uh, themselves aligned with uh, public health again and demonstrate with clear messaging that the work that we're doing is done is done uh, in the interest of the public and that all the measures that are being introduced are justified. They need to convey that all the time. All right. Well, Maya, I appreciate your time today. Let's hope uh, they start to convey things clearly and we all get on the same page here because numbers are surging and we are into the second wave and this is a life-threatening disease. Yes, I agree. Maya Goldenberg is a philosopher. Uh, she's a philosophy professor at the University of Guelph, examines communications, and I thank you for your time today, Maya. I don't know if you heard about this, but earlier on in the week, the Star was running a story where a lot of teachers say they're June tired already and the school year's just started. I got an idea. Shh, don't tell us you're tired. Not doesn't help your cause, but hundreds of teachers will be switched from in-person to virtual school as the TDSB announces a huge reorganization. That's today's headline in the Toronto Star. Here to talk about the reorganization, Ryan Bird from the TDSB. He's their spokesperson. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Morning, Kelly. Give us an idea of just how understaffed virtual classes are at the TDSB. So right now we do have students that have yet to start in a virtual classroom. Uh, our virtual elementary school started on the 22nd of September. So it has been a couple of weeks uh, where they have been doing that independent work that's available on our website and not in a virtual classroom with their teachers. So the reason for the reorg is twofold, not only to address the need for teachers in our virtual school, but the fact that we do have significantly smaller class sizes in our bricks and mortar schools right now. And while but isn't that a good I, thing? Yeah. When it comes to physical distancing, I get that smaller class sizes are good. However, we don't have the funding to continue um, funding teachers uh, to lead a class that should be around 24 that might be eight or 10 or maybe 12. Um, we just don't have the money to continue doing that. It would cost millions of dollars extra if we were to continue doing that millions that we don't have. Um, so it's a combination of not only making sure that all students in both virtual and in, pers uh, in person are supported, but the fact is we can't continue to have these significantly lower class sizes because it is costing millions in extra funding. And this is limited to elementary schools, is that right? Yeah, right now we're focusing on the elementary. Uh, you know, we, as you and I have talked about, we, have, we, we will have just over 80,000 students in our virtual school uh, come next week when these changes take effect. Uh, and then obviously we have to balance that out with the, the switching that's happened as well. How many teachers will move from in-person class to virtual teaching? Do you have an idea? 
Yeah, right now it's about 570. Uh, now, there may be a handful of those that may move to another school where they may be needed, like another in-person school, uh, but a, a very large majority of those will be moving to uh, the virtual school to not only address the issue of, uh, of students still needing a teacher, but also having a permanent staff member move into a position in some cases that's currently occupied by an occasional or a supply teacher. Okay, so... Uh- this lives, leaves a bunch of kids without a teacher. What happens to the kids in those classes? So in some cases, it's, it's really going to vary depending on the class. So, for example, if you had a class that should be 24 and you have 10 to 12 students in it right now, we may double that up with another class of 10 to 12 students so that we're still within those targeted class size caps that we've talked about from the beginning of the year and that we did spend millions to lower to that level at the beginning of the year will still be within that uh, that range. Uh, we just can't continue when you have, you know, we're hearing some classes that might have eight students in it and it should have 24, 27 students in it. And w- like you mentioned, yes, ideal for physical distancing. I do get that. Uh, but we, we just can't continue to fund the extra teachers uh, for, you know, the number of students they're they're leading. We're talking with Ryan Bird, spokesperson for the Toronto District School Board, who uh, has, has told us that uh, because their classes, their virtual classes are still understaffed, they're going to be moving some in-class teachers to uh, virtual positions. So, Ryan, what are you hearing from teachers? Because, you know, we, we saw a report in the Toronto Star that a lot are saying they're June tired already. It's the school year has just started. Uh, I heard, you know, uh, Teachers that I know saying they were confused by the online teaching component. Um, some of the teachers have to teach from schools and the bandwidth isn't adequate. What are you hearing? So I think we're hearing messages from students, families, and teachers alike. This is new territory. There's some uncertainty there. There's some frustration there. Uh, there is a learning curve adjusting to the new way of doing things, that this is the reality that we find ourselves in the middle of a pandemic. So it's not just unique to teachers. I think we're hearing from all of our families, whether they be staff or or students, um, that, you know, first, ideally, we don't want a lot of change right now after the school started, uh, the school year has started. We get that. Uh, But this is something that we had to do because we could not continue at the same level and for much longer, because it, it was not only meaning that students uh, were going without, uh, without any teacher whatsoever. Uh, and then we had other cases where obviously there are millions more in funding uh, that was going out the door, essentially, to help fund these. And, and we just don't have the money to do that. Okay, I know that we've got some in the TDSB schools dealing with active cases of COVID-19. Because of that, because of the second wave, are you anticipating more families are going to switch to virtual classes in November? So could this be the start of things? And is there, because we have 30 seconds or less here, Ryan, is there a threshold where we see a move from virtual uh, to virtual learning for the remainder of the year? Yeah, we'll have to see uh, what the numbers look like in November. Obviously, as the cases go up in Toronto, we anticipate that they may increase the number of students going to virtual school. No magic number at this point where we flip the switch to send everyone to remote or virtual learning. We have to take our lead from Toronto Public Health. Obviously, when they or the Ministry of Education says it's time to flip, we will do that. But right now, um, that we haven't reached any point of, of that level quite yet. All right, Ryan, I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Kelly.
Cheers. That's Ryan Bird from the Toronto District School Board. Throughout this pandemic, we've had a shortage on a few things, you know, the toilet paper, the paper towels. Appliances is not one of those things that you think there would be a shortage on. But here to talk about it, Jason Gomans, president of Gomans Appliances. Jason, welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate it. I understand you guys are challenged appliance stores. You're grappling with uh, what they call a double whammy. You've got a surge in demand and supply chain problems. So tell us what's going on right now. Well, what isn't going on right now? Yeah, it's that's pretty much the heart of it. Too much demand, too little supply, and in the middle is the uh, the black hole of communication and customers uh, looking for their appliances, whether they ordered months ago or just recently, are all struggling to find out where it is, how soon they can get it, and the the frustration is the information coming from the suppliers and their supply chains is limited and and you know, gray. Uh, and we're trying to fill those voids and give customers some answers, but it's 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 like playing whack-a-bole or needle in the haystack. It's just they can't keep up with the demand, and we're doing our best to try and uh, uh, fulfill the you know the uh, the baskets uh, like everybody else that's in a home-related industry, whether it's you know pools or uh, you know jet skis or lumber. It's all the same. Everything yeah. that's home-related is just up through the roof right now. Well, listen, I was talking to my husband about the fact that we're doing this small renovation on our own and it's just a bathroom renovation. We need a window and we're 12 weeks out at the very earliest if we want to, you know, order this window, which is, you know, frustrating. But I think we all understand that it's it's not, you know, the fault of the, the people that are selling the products. It's the pandemic. And, you know, we you guys have had to pivot and so have manufacturers. And so everything is slower this year. Generally speaking, um, how um, how are clients reacting? Well, understandably, they're frustrated. I mean, it's you know, washing machines, you know, ranges, fridges, doing without or waiting a ridiculous amount of time is frustrating. You know, we're at the end of the food chain when it comes to new homes and renovations. So people have COVID fatigue, and they've been frustrated before for all the other back orders. And then it comes to appliances, and you know, they're not getting the answers uh, they want or deserve. And we've been kind of spoiled over the last few years. Everybody's been pretty much able to get whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And now it's they're not making everything. The the production lines have been cut down to more popular models uh, rather than some of the you know more niche stuff. And, of course, the demand is up. So what, what is available is getting scooped up. Uh, we're fortunate that we have a big warehouse and a lot of product, but it's a lot of it's spoken for. And we're, uh, we're hammering the suppliers to try and get everything we can. And it's just... It's just not enough. Um, There's a few months at the beginning of the COVID, Kelly, where, you know, everybody kind of just settled down and was, you know, there wasn't much happening. Now it's sort of ramped up and backlogged. And it's just, you know, it's like a snowball going down a hill. So it's it's probably the worst it's ever been in our industry. And yeah, we're not alone, but uh, it's easy to say hard to swallow sometimes. Yeah. Give us an idea of how how much the demands increased this year as opposed to a normal year. Well, it's, there's two things. One is it, it's backlogged, meaning the the Q2 or the you know uh, the spring business kind of slipped over into the summer and now into the fall. So it's shifted to what we call now Q3, Q4. Uh, so the overall business isn't necessarily up huge. It's just it's shifted, and and we're trying to fill you know demand that was there uh, that wasn't there in, in Q2 in the spring, and now it's here. And the suppliers just can't react that quickly and build up the production lines to fulfill that. So uh, I wouldn't say year over year uh, we're up necessarily. It's just filling the original hole from earlier this year in such a small ball neck window of the fall 
with the construction, everybody else, you know, trying to chase down what's available. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we didn't expect it, to be honest, that, that this surge would come back so quickly. And it, it's a lot more prevalent now, these backwards, than really what was, it was already bound to happen going back to the spring. It's just people didn't realize it then because they weren't looking for it as much as they are now. Right. Um, I understand that manufacturers say they're running into problems obtaining parts as well because they've had to scale yeah. back production to adhere to COVID-19 safety protocols. That's why they've got a limited stock. And that's why, yeah. as you said, they're they're sticking to, uh, you know, those uh, tested and true products that sell uh, yep. time tested products that sell over and over again. They're not making the niche products. If I'm looking for something like, what would you consider niche? Like a, a wine fridge? Is that niche? Am I going to have a hard time finding that this year? Well, it depends. There's 800 different models and, you know, selections to choose from, but in, in general, they've paired back to, like you said, the more popular models, but you know, a, a fridge has a handle, that handle has screws and those screws are you know made in a factory on, that has you know reduced capacity because of yes COVID. Uh, that that whole scenario works right back through the supply chain. So they're only able to make the stuff that they know is going to sell. Uh, so customers aren't getting the the luxury of choice of everything. And you would think that's okay for appliances, but you know there's 60 different brands, 8,000 different models, and an infinite amount of colors. So when you're used to being able to sort of match up whatever you want, it's a little frustrating to hear. Well, this is going to be now four months away. Uh, versus, you know, four weeks or even four days. And so the reality is with all the home renovation shows that we watch, we want what we want. And we've been able to get what we wanted for years now. That's right. And the real challenge is on the new construction or new home, that's one thing. You've got time to place the order. And we have customers that order a year ahead because mm-hmm. inevitably there's delays. But if something, if your washing machine breaks and you need something, you know, tomorrow, uh, there's a good chance you're not going to get it. And that's, you know, people like us who have barns and warehouses full of product can help. But, you know, whether it's big box or the independents, we're all struggling with a reduced supply. And, um, you know, you, you go or you, whoever has it. That's so, interesting. Uh, I wonder if that's going to affect repair as well. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, th- I mean, there's a general industry problem just with parts availability before COVID started. And this was yeah. aggravated. So if something's five years old, six years old, and that, you know, that gray area is not new, but it's not certainly not old. Uh, people are struggling for appointments. The whole system is backed up. So it's okay. really is there any situation. appliance, Jason, is there any appliance that, that is the most difficult to get? To get? Uh, no, not specifically one. I mean, Every brand has its good and bad situations, but in general, right. laundry and refrigeration is more than half the uh, the appliance business. So washer dryers and fridges make up half the mm-hmm. the uh, what we call the replacement market. So in general, you know the brands that are out there, we all know who they are. I'm not allowed to say anybody specifically, but uh, it, it's hard to get the more popular models. Right. Uh, the high the higher end you go, Kelly, the more time you generally are able to wait for those renovations and planned purchases. But, you know, freezers, we were sold out of them back in when everybody was, you know, hoarding uh, all kinds Meat. of freezers were, yeah. were gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were gone. Um, and, uh, yeah. So what does this mean for, you know, Black Friday? Busy shopping time of the year. And I know a lot of people buy appliances in the new year as well. What does this mean for shopping for appliances? Well, truthfully, we've been told by most suppliers, and we've got a good relationship with a lot of them, this, this supply chokehold, we call it, is not going to really fix itself until well into Q1, maybe even Q2 of next year. So Black Friday, which is really becoming a season, as much of a weekend now, um, is going to be compressed down to what's available. So it's not going to be as robust a season. 
because we just don't have those quick turnaround uh, product to 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 ship. So all suppliers are are struggling to figure out, you know, what's the point of putting on a promotion if we can't get the stock. So there's going to be a muted effect for the major appliances, I think, this season. And a possibility of even more back orders. Jason, I want to thank you for your yeah. time, and I wish you the best of luck. It's uh, it's not a position you want to be in. I mean, you're there to serve no. clients, and your your job is supplying them with uh, appliances. But I think during this pandemic, uh, we all have to just, you know, take yeah, a deep lower, breath and understand. You, you take what you can get or you wait. Somebody told me lower our expectations, which is hard to do. We're just doing the best we can, like a lot of other retailers out there, uh, Kelly, making the best of a situation. Sorry for swearing. All right. You said it. I didn't. All right. That's Jason Goman, president of Goman's Appliances. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. Always a pleasure having you join us. Don't forget, we broadcast live from nine till noon daily on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Have a great day.